Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is November 27th, National Craft Jerky Day and National Bavarian Cream Pie Day. And I declare it National What the F*** Are These Days Day. On this day in 1701, Anders Celsius was born in Sweden. He was the inventor of the Celsius Thermometer. On this day in 1910, New York's Pennsylvania Station opened. On this very day in 1957, the number one song in America was Jailhouse Rock, sung by Elvis Presley. I say sung by because it was not written by him. On this very day in 1978, San Francisco Mayor George Moscone and City Supervisor Harvey Milk, a gay rights activist, They were shot to death right inside of City Hall by Dan White, a former supervisor, likely closet case, and clearly nut job. It's a big day in American history and an even bigger day in gay history. If you're gay and you didn't know that that's what happened on this day, well then I don't know what to say. Your name is probably Ray and I'm going to kick you right in the face and go over the bay. I'm an idiot. Also on this day, important to note, was the last broadcast of The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn from this studio. This, our original studio. It's a big day. We're moving on up, folks. We're moving on up. I love you all. Goodbye. That's what happened on this day in history. And who knows? Perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff. Usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write 
It's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. If you like what you hear tonight, well, a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that. Uh, If you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So, that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. Okay, folks. Okay, folks. <laughs> if you follow us on Facebook, I don't, even, I don't even know if that's a thing. Can you follow people on Facebook? If you've liked us on Facebook, if you follow us on Twitter, then you might have seen a little tweet or a little Facebook post today about what the show tonight is really going to be about. We're going to look in... To Vladimir Putin. Who is this man? Who is this man really? Vladimir Putin is a guy we've heard a lot about, especially in the past year or so. We think we know who he is because, well, he's the president of Russia. Who? What else is there to know? Who gives a shit? You could not be more wrong. Okay, we're going to kick the show off tonight by revisiting a little interview that our friend John McCain gave on David Letterman. So obviously this was a while ago. In fact, this was back in 2014. Now, John McCain, it's funny because he's so hit or miss, especially lately. You know, in 2008, he's running for president, picking Sarah Palin as his running mate. I mean, what? Yeah, if you ever thought he had lost his marbles, that was the kicker. And he does occasionally say things that are like, what? Grandpa, did you take your meds this morning? And then he'll suddenly step up and be a hero like when he was that absolutely pivotal vote, that no vote, when they tried for, what, the third time to repeal and replace Obamacare a few months ago. That was so huge, so important. Have you ever loved John McCain more than you did that day? No. Again, hit or miss, folks, hit or miss. In fact, it's kind of ironic because I was reading today that he apparently went on some tirade about my girl Hillary Clinton and how she just needs to move on. I mean, can you let it go, my friends? God. (laughs) Well, I don't like that. But this interview he gave back in 2014. Now, this was during the, it was either during or maybe right after the Winter Olympics. That year, they took place in Sochi, Russia. And if you remember, there was a lot going on during those Olympics. A lot going on. Not much of it. In fact, almost none of it was good. And so David Letterman, being a much better interviewer than people realize, he asked him about it. And here's what John McCain had to say. I've, I had heard this clip. I heard, actually saw this interview at the time. I thought almost nothing of it. When I hear it now, ugh, it's important and it's prophetic and it is incredibly insightful. Here it is. John McCain speaking to David Letterman in 2014. Vladimir Putin, have you met Vladimir? Yes, I have. What's your impression of the guy? (laughs) Uh, The the fact is uh, that he is an old KGB colonel. 
that believes that he wants to restore the Russian Empire, and that's what this is all about, and that's why Ukraine is the key uh, country. Uh, somebody once said, uh, and it's been repeated many times, Russia with Ukraine is an empire. Russia without Ukraine is a country. By the way, I predicted that this would happen mm. because he wasn't going to give up this naval base in Crimea called Sevastopol, which, by the way, wars have been fought over because that's its access to the Mediterranean. And uh, the, the moral of the story is we just have to understand who he is and what he is. He's not a guy that's interested in democracy. He's got a he's a, he's a oil and gas company uh, that's part of a country. He wants to expand the Russia, whether it be in Moldova where they've got Russian troops, Georgia where they've got Russian troops, the Baltics and other uh, countries in the region and um we just have to understand him for what he is. Well, help and me out take with this. Course, uh, the uh, president of the Ukraine, Yanukovych, yep. uh, flees and, and had a nice billion dollar, uh, hundred million dollar home. Nice man of the big, yeah. yeah. And he goes to Russia, so he's hiding out. And now, was that all orchestrated by the Russians? No, he was forced out. He was forced out by the Ukrainian people. Right, were, but then, then the so then he went to Putin Russia. Sees this as a reason then to, to go into to Crimea, saying, "Well, you, you have no valid uh, elected." leader exactly. uh, so it's it's uh, up for grabs exactly. now do they they want to annex the uh, Crimean peninsula or they take the entire ukraine that's the question i predicted he would take crimea because of sevastopol now i think the question is, is does he try to kind of have a de facto partition of eastern ukraine and i don't know the answer to that but there are many things we could do including sanctions on these these corrupt people that are around them uh, that m makes it hard for them to do business with the west their kids go to school in london uh, we could make their life very unpleasant for them and there's a lot of other things we can do we're still the most powerful nation in the world now, will, will he hide behind this notion of a referendum yeah, uh, in that's Crimea? That's an old trick. The, the, the Hitler used to use that. March into some place, have a, have a referendum. Uh, the referendum they're going to have, and I think it's this Sunday, won't be quite like the North Korean <laughs> election, but I can assure you what the outcome's going to be. I promise you what Because it it's be. a heavy concentration of Russian no, citizens. It's because they'll rig the election. Rig the election. A, lot of the, a lot of the Ukraine, even though they're pro-Russian, they don't want to be part of Russia. Mm -hmm. They look to, to Europe and see what life is like there, and they look at Russia and they see what it's like there. Now, it, it, you're president of the United States. This yeah. happens. What, what do you do? Other than the sanctions, it, it, nothing uh, else to be done? We're going to start missile defense again in Poland and the Czech Republic. Uh, have NATO uh, maneuvers in the Baltic countries. Say we'll accelerate Moldova and Georgia into, the, uh, into NATO. Um, uh, uh, there's so many things that we could do. Kick them out of the G8. Putin loves to strut on the world stage. Mm -hmm. Throw him out. Don't don't uh, let him uh, play that uh, key role. I, I heard a story from George Bush. George Bush was in uh, Putin was in Washington, and little Barney. Remember, little Barney comes out. Putin looks at him. Then George Bush is in St. Petersburg. Out comes this wolfhound, Russian wolfhound, and Putin says, "See, he's big and strong, not like Barney." Mm. Now. Is that weird or what? Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, this guy is a megalomaniac. All right. So, John McCain does not hold back when it comes to Vladimir Putin. He tells you exactly what he thinks. He tells you exactly what he knows. And the reason why now listening back on that interview, it kind of it's just really interesting to me, is because 
I've been doing research lately. I've been reading up and I've been really kind of devouring anything I can find on not just the life and times of Vladimir Putin, but his relationship to the United States, his kind of interactions with our past presidents, our current president and whatnot. And I mean, I found myself saying out loud certain things that you just heard John McCain say. I really, I was sitting at my desk a few nights ago and I literally stopped and I thought, this guy, this guy is not interested in democracy. He couldn't care less about democracy. In fact, I'm almost come to the conclusion that he actually kind of would rather not have true democracy in Russia, at least. This is not a good person. This is, in fact, this is, this is an evil man. And we don't, I don't think many of us quite understand what he's capable of, what he's already done. And, you know, we hear about all this Russia stuff, you know, did they have a, did they collude with the Trump campaign? Oh, what were they? How did they affect the outcome? Did they affect the outcome? They didn't affect the outcome, all this crap. There is no collusion, but we'll continue to look. There is absolutely no collusion. We don't know the half of it. And I'm, I've steadily said, yeah, they probably didn't truly affect the outcome in terms of they didn't hack voting machines, they didn't change vote counts. And I still, that's probably true. However, I no longer think they didn't affect the outcome. They absolutely did. No question about it. And frankly, what I was really surprised to find is that it's not so much up for debate in the intelligence community. They assume he did too. Why didn't we know that? And if they really thought that, then why didn't they do anything about it before he was able to affect the outcome? There are so many questions. Doing research into Vladimir Putin hasn't really given me a whole lot of answers. It's just created more questions. Who is this man? How did he, how did he come to power? Before Vladimir Putin, Russia was being led by a big, gregarious, fat, jolly man named Boris Yeltsin. I saw him on the news with President Bill Clinton. You can still find photos of the two of them. They were good, close friends. Boris Yeltsin was a warm, progressive man, a, a politician who truly wanted to take Russia into the future and lead it into a free democracy. Vladimir Putin, he wants none of that. And it was Boris Yeltsin who willingly, who voluntarily resigned the presidency of, in Russia and handed things over to Vladimir Putin, who has never, ever, ever reneged that power. If anything, he has grabbed onto it even tighter. He has made sure that it was solidified and that no one could touch it. He even made it so that when he had to step down as president for a few years. He put someone in there as a placeholder. He put himself back at the prime ministership, and when the time came, bam, he was back in that office. Vladimir Putin has never been elected president in Russia. Never. He was appointed prime minister by Boris Yeltsin. Boris Yeltsin then resigned, making him the president, and ever since then, he's made sure that he stays in that position. Tonight we're going to look hardcore, we're going to take a deep dive into who this son of a bitch is. Why he resents us more than he can possibly stand. Why he wanted Donald Trump to win 
in 2016 and how he went about making sure that happened. He didn't just... He didn't just want Donald Trump to win. He took actions, and it started years ago to make sure it happened. And guess what, folks? More than wanting Donald Trump to win in 2016, he wanted Hillary Clinton to lose. He hates Hillary Clinton, and he wanted to see her go down. And tonight, we're going to visit why. Yes, we're going to find out the real motivation behind this tyrant. And I will say this, most of the clips that you hear come from the Frontline documentary. I'm going to tell you this, Frontline, I've taken clips from them before in past episodes. I don't think there is a better series, a documentary series out there right now. Frontline on PBS, you can see all of their past episodes. They're all free. You can find them on PBS's website. They are the best. I've used clips from there on our NFL Shame episode. I've used clips from there when we were talking about all sorts of stuff. And tonight, with the help of Frontline, we're going to look into the life and times and motivations of Vladimir Putin. It would be Vladimir Putin's revenge for a lifetime of grievances. Mr. Gorbachev... Tear down this wall. Reviving the old Cold War with new weapons. We have the responsibility to advance freedom and democracy. An epic struggle. Everywhere that freedom stirs, let tyrants fear. Between the leader of Russia and American democracy. The United States will continue to stand up for democracy and the universal rights that all human beings deserve. All right, friends. So, let's go back in time, if you will. New Year's Eve, 1999. Boris Yeltsin, a big, fat, jolly man, the president of Russia, he's been the president for eight, maybe nine years. Jovial, happy, progressive, great for Russia. The first president of Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. On New Year's Eve in 1999, he suddenly, much to everyone's surprise, just decides to resign. And he hands things over to his little-known prime minister at the time, someone that, honest to God, most Russians couldn't even tell you his name. A former KGB officer named Satan. Sorry. A former KGB officer named Vladimir Putin. Chilling. But the last thing that Boris Yeltsin said to Vladimir Putin while he was handing over the reins was, Bing bong! Goodbye, sir. Quote, take care of Russia. That's what Yeltsin said to him as he literally handed over power. Oh, Let's boy. About- the first thing, and I swear to God, this was the first thing he did as president. The first thing Putin did as president was commission film and photo shoots. He was stressing the how important it was to look strong, to look like a leader, to look a... Uh, he hired public relations gurus so as to sell himself to all the Russians they decided to they decided that any and all media print and what should be manipulated not just it could be manipulated it needed to be manipulated to fit his image of himself thus the creation of what is now widely known as state tv their version of fox news so our president at the time was 
That's right, Bill Clinton. He went over just to meet the new president. He wanted to meet him as the new president. Putin's first test with the United States, a visit from the American president. Bill Clinton had come to the Kremlin to evaluate Putin for himself. Then Secretary of State Strobe Talbot. President Clinton wanted to get a little bit of a feel. He wanted to meet him in the, in the Kremlin as president. Two presidents, one near the end of his term, the other... Putin seemed indifferent to the American president, who had championed Yeltsin and liberalization and expanded NATO. Putin conveys a huge amount through body language. Then State Department Chief of Staff Jake Sullivan. He tries to show you that he's the alpha male in the room through the way he spreads his legs, through the way he slouches a bit in his chair, through the way that he will look at people and kind of give them a dismissive hand wave. Putin doesn't have much time for him. Author and journalist Peter Baker. And this is not what Clinton was used to when it came to Russia. He was used to having somebody he could relate to, and Putin is a cold fish. And Clinton didn't respond well to him. If Mr. Clinton was hoping for a foreign policy triumph, he won't get it here. A cold fish? Who would respond well to that? Cold fish? Hell, it's one thing to have a nice hot fish, but a cold fish? Good God. All right, in his early days, Vladimir Putin worked as a counterintelligence officer for the KGB. He stood by, and, okay, in that post, he actually was there, in person, standing by as the lowly, a lowly lieutenant colonel in West Berlin when he watched Ronald Reagan tell Mr. Gorbachev to tear down this wall. The Berlin Wall, that is. <laughs> Putin saw this. Well, he saw that and the fall of the Soviet Union as a lot of people... They saw that as kind of an exciting time. They were embracing democracy. They were, they were moving forward to bigger and brighter days. Vladimir Putin saw it as a humiliation. He felt, I mean, he felt like he loved the USSR. Are you kidding? That's all he'd ever known. And he had been trained to literally not just love it, but protect it fiercely and to think that anything else was obviously below it and anything trying to, to screw it, to mess with it had to be killed, Ivan Drago style. Hell yeah! So you can imagine how he felt when he watched that grandmother, I mean, excuse me, Ronald Reagan say to tear down this wall and people cheered. His own people cheered. He felt like, it, he felt like we were invading. He felt like we were a foreign power invading his country. And that's how he saw us. That's truly how he saw us from then. And it's never left him. It's never left him. By the time Putin returned to Russia, the USSR was falling apart. Even in front of the KGB headquarters, the statues were coming down. David E. Hoffman. For many people, this was a time of great excitement and enablement and experimentation with democracy, and Vladimir Putin missed this. The American president, George H.W. Bush, declared it a triumph. This is a victory for democracy and freedom. It's a victory for the moral force of our values. But to Putin, the end of the Soviet Union was a humiliation. Peter Baker. The quote that he said once that really was so revealing that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the century. That's how he saw it. So, as I said, he was a lieutenant colonel when he stood there and saw Ronald Reagan tell him to tear down this wall. Well, then came George H.W. Bush. Then he took over as president when Bill Clinton was president, and he's seen George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and so on. 
You'll hear all throughout this history lesson, if you will, look into Vladimir Putin. Uh, you hear our presidents all talk about spreading democracy and making spreading freedom across the world and all that stuff. Well, Vladimir Putin sees that as a crock of shit. He always has. He sees us as trying to basically take over sovereign nations and inflict our way of thinking on them. Now, I guess you could see why that would bother somebody if that were actually taking place. But when it's as perverted and ass backwards as Vladimir Putin makes it, well, it's really hard to understand because it's totally in his head. He's, he's not all there, folks. He's not all there. So once the Soviet Union fell, his first job in the new Russia was as, well, he went from being a KGB officer to being the head, the head of the new KGB known as the FSB. KGB to the FSB. FSB, that stood for, stands for Federal Security Service of the Russian Federation. The primary functions of the FSB are, one, counterintelligence, two, internal and border security, three, counterterrorism, and four, surveillance. Now, the FSB is primarily a agency that works internally. So when I talk about surveillance, and when I talk about counterintelligence, that's, they're surveilling their own people. Yeah, that happens in Russia, and it's not a secret. That's a key difference between Russia and us. And, you know, it's so funny because I have friends here in New York City. I mean, obviously, New York City is a melting pot. You truly do meet people from everywhere, all over the world. And I have a lot of friends from Russia. And it's funny because, honest to God, I've never, I'm not sitting here professing this stuff as if I really knew it all because I've studied it through the years and I could have told you all these things any time over the past 10 years. And if you don't know this, well, you're just dumb. No, I mean, I didn't know most of this stuff as of three days ago. And that's too bad. And I think back on conversations I had with Russian friends of mine, truly people who literally are only here for a few months, they still live in Russia. And it's very interesting and kind of odd to talk to them. And when I think back on certain conversations we had, I don't really think they know what exactly is going on in their own government. I really don't. And that's not by accident. Putin doesn't want them to know. Putin doesn't want them to know because when they find out, they don't like it, as he found out the hard way. So that's his first job in the new Russia was head of the FSB. So Vladimir Putin knows a thing or two when it comes to cybersecurity, surveillance, counterterrorism, and all that crap which came in very handy when, oh, I don't know, he wanted to have a say in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. So he grew up in the KGB, FSB. So what does that mean? You know, what does that, what does that training do for him? Putin had convinced Yeltsin that he shared the president's democratic goals. Yes, that's a good point. Thank you, Mr. Frontline. Boris Yeltsin is the one, he was the first president of Russia. So he's the one who actually gave him that job. He made him the head of the FSB. And why would he have done that? Why would he give an important, very high-level position to someone who, you know, maybe didn't have the same views as him, in fact, had the exact opposite views as him? Well, Putin didn't let him know that he had opposite views. In fact, he was trained to do the opposite. You get in with people you disagree with so that, A, you can either change their minds, B, to go about your business and make sure that their work is futile, or C, wait them out wait them out. They're either going to die, retire, or you can make them so irrelevant 
that they won't even make a difference. And that's pretty much what Putin did to Boris Yeltsin. President's democratic goals. Evgenia Albat. He's a professional liar. To lie is what he was taught in the intelligence school. He was pretending that he was going to pursue the same development of Russia as Yeltsin did. But that's all is just one big lie. I don't know if you could tell, but that woman was not from the South. Russians know this about Vladimir Putin, at least ones with any security clearance. So his second job, after he spent years as head of the FSB, his second job was as, get this, prime minister. Now, how the hell did he make such an astonishingly fast rise up the chain of command? Well, Boris Yeltsin did it for him. He convinced Boris Yeltsin that not only did he have the same vision and goals, but that he was a doer. He was he was productive. He got things done, and he was someone that, hey, he should have a very important leadership position. Well, not long after taking over a second in command, I think like four weeks, four weeks as prime minister, there was a, uh, well, there was a very suspicious round of apartment bombings throughout Russia, all throughout Russia. And immediately there were a lot of questions as to who was truly responsible for them, but didn't matter. I mean, the government, Putin in particular, he claimed it was the work of separatists from the Russian Republic known as Chechnya. And he really saw it, he saw it, or perhaps even staged it specifically as a chance to make a name for himself. I mean, again, at this point, people barely, didn't even really know his name. He was an unknown, this new prime minister dude. Well, he saw this as a chance to make a name for himself, and he pounced on it. This prime minister, that most people don't even remember his name. And suddenly he comes on television and he says, we're going to hunt down the terrorists. And we're going to wipe them out in the outhouse. We'll be chasing the terrorists everywhere, at the airports or in the toilet. We'll waste them in an outhouse. End of story. Journalist Julia Yaffe. When the apartment bombings happen, it gives him the excuse he needs to finally go after what has become a morass in Chechnya and neighboring Dagestan. Putin struck Chechnya with incredible force. This was his decision. Former advisor Gleb Pavlovsky. He was angry and he wanted to punish the separatists. He is seen on TV as a doer. An, a man of action. He goes down there. He's talking to the troops. He is in command. As Putin suited up for the cameras, his political fortunes were on the rise. Yeah. And just a few months after all that went down, he was suddenly president. I mean, seriously, this all happened within a matter of months. Putin's first promise to the Russian people, strength. I assure you that there will be no vacuum of power, not for a minute. He moved quickly to consolidate power. One of his first targets, television. Journalist David E. Hoffman. One of the first things he did was to take control of television because more than 90% of Russians got all their news from television. During the Yeltsin years, independent television channels like NTV flourished. Please. 
even as they ridiculed political figures. NTV has a comic show called Kukle, Puppets. And when Putin comes to rise in public life, it features a Putin puppet as well. And he's never portrayed very flatteringly. Putin apparently was driven to madness by this show. And by the way he was portrayed on it, the way he was mocked on it. NTV and its owner, Vladimir Gusinsky, were among the first to fall in the crosshairs of Putin's government. Vladimir Karamorza. He sent armed operatives from the uh, Prosecutor General Service and the tax police to raid the offices of Media Most, the parent company of NTV, which was at the time the largest independent media holding in Russia. Gusinsky is imprisoned, and while he's in jail, one of Putin's lieutenants comes to visit him in jail and says, you know, you could get out of this mess if you sign over NTV. Gusinsky eventually does that, hands over NTV to a Kremlin-friendly oligarch. In doing that, Putin made clear the broadcast media, which is how most Russians get their news, was no longer going to be outsourced. Former Ambassador John Byerly. This was going to be a, a state-run operation, and it's remained that way throughout Putin's term. He had seized control of the media. Now, Putin turned his attention to making Russia powerful again. Or, dare I say, great again. Think about the First of all, I want to make it clear. They were saying NTV, as in Nancy, or Negative, or Nebraska. Not MTV, that we know here in the United States. NTV. So basically what they described was, NTV was a Russian television station, and on it there was a program such as, oh, I don't know, Saturday Night Live, or Mad TV, or The Daily Show, or The Colbert Report, or Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, anything of those kinds. There was a show on that station in Russia where, God forbid, they did a little spoof on their new president. It's one thing not to have a sense of humor, folks. Vladimir Putin pounced. I said earlier that he, the first thing he did when he became the president was commission film and photo shoots. He wanted to portray this image. You've seen that stupid, bizarre image of him wearing no shirt, sitting on a donkey. He is all about portraying this image of a strong man. He is powerful. He will use force. Blah, 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 blah. And he was not about to sit there and let people within his own mother Russia make him look like some kind of fool. So he took action. He, he put the people who own that TV program, he, oh, I mean the TV network, channel, whatever, he put them in jail. For what? Doesn't matter. I want them in jail. You put them in jail. Puts them in jail, says you will, st- you will sign ownership over to us or who knows what. And they had to. They didn't have a choice. That's another big difference between our country and Russia, at least as of today. Who knows what it's going to be like in a few weeks. But as of today, you can't just lock someone up because you don't like, I don't know, the the TV channel they own. You don't like some program they perform in on TV. They made some jokes that you did not think would have funny, so you die. That happens. That's happening in Russia. And how is this happening? That's my big question. Because Boris Yeltsin did exist. That's the thing. All the while that this is happening, you have to remember that he was trained as the KGB. He is a professional and absolutely masterful liar, manipulator, deceiver. 
he can do all of this stuff while making it seem like he is he is a he is a disciple of Boris Yeltsin. He wants democracy and freedom, happiness. Yes, yes, yes. Fuckers. Ivan Drago, if you die, you die. That's what he really thinks. And people still don't know this. People still don't realize it. So as I said, as we talked about, Putin came on the scene at the tail end of President Clinton's second term. They didn't get along. He was a cold fish. And by the way, say what you will about Bill Clinton. He is a very intuitive. He is a good judge of character. He can read people very well. I tend to think most politicians, at least they should be good politicians, probably have that that ability to read people well, to read the room, to know who likes them and who doesn't, blah, 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 blah. Well, again, Putin came around at the tail end of his career, and so you know who came afterwards. Well, George W. Bush, but you know what? That, that's not really even the point. The point that Vladimir Putin saw was it was a Republican. But now he plotted a fresh strategy to win over a new American president, a Republican. Susan Glasser. There was an attitude about Republicans rather than Democrats were better for Russia. Because they're not going to lecture us about our internal affairs, uh, and they're not going to meddle as much as those pesky Democrats who are always talking about democracy and human rights and things like that. And so they're going to be realist, and that's good. Well, how wrong he was, first of all. But... You know, there's a lot of points, uh, by the way, that I realized Putin, yeah, he might be a masterful liar and a manipulator, but he's also kind of a dumbass and probably not all there in the head. You'll see as we go along. The first time he met George W. Bush was at a summit. And basically the whole reason Vladimir Putin even went was because he simply wanted to size George W. Bush up. He spent the entire time figuring out, you know, what motivates him, what motivates him, how he thinks, what he cares about. It was just all so as to figure out how best to manipulate him, how to con him, how to con our new president, which sadly, as it turns out, wasn't very hard to do. He wasn't the brightest light in the box, the sharpest tool in the shed. Putin decided to focus on the president's strong Christian beliefs. Former Ambassador John Byerly. And he tells a story with some relish and connects with Bush, who's a very religious Christian. Now, whether Putin himself is Christian or religious is, I think, up to debate. But he recognized as a political actor that it was a way to make a connection to a guy for whom this would be very important. After their private meeting, Bush and Putin faced the press. Question to um, President Bush. Is this a man that Americans can trust? Putin's story about his mother's cross seemed to have had its desired effect. I looked a man in the eye. I found it to be very straightforward. I was able to um, get a sense of his soul. He's a man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. Please, uh, hello? Yeah. So, as easy as it was to kind of size George W. Bush up, well, I guess it was just as easy, perhaps even easier, to just kind of pull the rug over his eyes. Hello? I could see into his soul. He's a good man. Loves his country. Yeah. Fool me once. Uh, Shame on you. Anyway, so that happened. But to be fair, most of Bush's, in fact, probably all of Bush's cabinet, knew immediately that that was a stupid comment and one he was almost absolutely guaranteed to regret. I mean, honestly, typically if you're the president and you say something really dumb, you're going to regret it. There's not much he could have said that was dumber than that. Yikes! So, 
what happens during George W. Bush's first few years? Well, right away, 9-11. 9-11 happens. And frankly, from what I can find, Putin was the very first, the very first foreign leader to call Bush when 9-11 happened. Only it wasn't, he wasn't calling to offer his condolences or, God forbid, his thoughts and prayers, but he was calling to kind of like sound a rallying cry. He thought, in fact, he was almost convinced that Bush, being the Texan and the fighter and, yes, the red-blooded American male, he thought that Bush was going to react to 9-11 like Putin had reacted to those apartment bombings and that he, perhaps our two countries could kind of join together in rage and basically, you know, seek vengeance on terrorism, but really, I guess, the world. Only that's not exactly what Bush chose to do, at least not not how Putin would have liked it. In fact, Putin was shocked and appalled when George W. Bush claimed he was going to counter the terrorist threat with, quote, an effort to spread democracy. Spread democracy. That's what we love to do. Well, Putin was like, fuck that. The test case, Iraq. Evan Osnos, The New Yorker. Vladimir Putin watched as an American president with whom he had some sort of fragile rapport embarked on a foreign policy adventure that the United States had not done in decades. And we turned it against a single man, Saddam Hussein. Tomahawk missiles targeting senior Iraqi leaders and possibly Saddam Hussein himself. All right, now look. We all know, of course, in hindsight, that this was a terrible decision. And Iraq had virtually nothing to do with 9-11. Not virtually. They had absolutely nothing to do with 9-11. But the point here is, this response scared Putin. Think about it. In his eyes, if we Americans will go after a tyrant like Saddam Hussein, if we'll go after a single man, an individual, in order to, quote, spread democracy... Then what was gonna what was to stop us from going after a tyrant like him? The whole thing reminded Putin way too much of the fall of the Soviet Union. He suddenly remembered that we, America, we were the enemy. We were the ones responsible for the fall of the Soviet Union, and we used that same excuse spreading democracy, invading sovereign nations to spread democracy. Burn the rage and the resentment came back barreling back and really this in my from what i could find this seems like the first time that putin in some form kind of recognizes himself as a tyrant as a dictator he pretty much puts himself in the same category as someone like saddam hussein because why else would he have gotten scared why else would it made him uneasy to think that we would go after an individual if they were a tyrant and a dictator. Why would that make him uneasy unless he, in fact, was a tyrant, was a dictator? Yeah, so he knows who he is, and he doesn't give a shit. Anyway, from then on, whenever, pretty much whenever bad things happened in Russia, particularly when there, was, when there were terrorist attacks, he actually found ways to blame America every time, guaranteed. He would say when anything, when there would be car bombings, apartment bombings, any type of terrorist activity, he would go on television and say that the West, in other words, America, played its role in, quote, supporting terrorism and that, quote, 
There are forces out there that want to destroy Russia. Hint, hint, wink, wink. The West. Who else could he possibly be talking about? Canada? Please. He used rhetoric like this. Strategically, nothing he says, nothing he does is by accident or coincidence. Everything is strategically planned out and pre-programmed. He uses rhetoric like this to further expand his own power and control. What better way to control groups of people than fear? Come on, people, you know this shit. He canceled elections throughout the country and basically kicked people who opposed him out of the government, which was frankly not so bad when you think down the road he's kicking people out of the country or just kicking them out of, I don't know, buses or kicking them off the tops of buildings. No! I mean, it got to the point where government just really didn't matter. And I, this isn't my opinion. His own aides were saying this. In fact, you want to hear one? Former Putin advisor Gleb Pavlovsky. After Beslan, the Kremlin had full power. The government did not matter much any longer. This Kremlin, the power these days, is always in singular. It doesn't matter where it is. It belongs to the president. It comes from the president, flows out of the president. He is the president. In addition to the supposed threat from the West, Putin had some other internal issues to deal with at this time. Uh, in fact, this is when the people of Russia kind of started to catch on to the path this new leader was taking their country down. He started to kind of realize that they weren't so comfortable with this. And so what did he do? Well, he is a man of action. And just the thought of any type of protests, he... I don't know if there's anything Vladimir Putin hates more than protests. And anytime he saw people in the streets, well, he immediately, he came to the same conclusion every time, and it was always, it was always the same. There was no question about it. Obviously, this was America's fault. He thought when people, pro he couldn't understand, protests are such a foreign concept to him. He doesn't understand them. He doesn't think, he doesn't think they are possible to just happen. He doesn't think people have minds of their own. They would never start protesting in the street just on their own accord. And so whenever it happens, he assumes that they are the result of our efforts to export and spread democracy, install our way of thinking by any means necessary. He thinks we are the puppet masters. Putin is convinced that people don't just come out into the streets. They have to be driven by somebody. There has to be a puppet master. Somebody's funding them. And it's probably the United States. Americans respect your courageous choice for liberty. The American people will stand with you. But at this point, he's really just kind of growing paranoid. I mean, honestly, he he's so filled with rage, it's starting to blind him. And he goes to speak at a security conference in Munich, Germany, and really just kind of goes off the deep end. He just lashes out against oh my god how'd you guess first and foremost the united states has overstepped its national borders in the economic political and humanitarian spheres it imposes on other nations well who would like this who would like this my head snapped it was so searing and blunt and i i felt this was the real God. 
И это, конечно, крайне опасно. This is, of course, extremely dangerous. It results in the fact that no one feels safe. I want to emphasize this. No one feels safe. Americans were pissed, frantic, angry. Former U.S. Ambassador to NATO, Victoria Nuland. I was four rows back, and you could almost feel the humidity from the spittle that was spewing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty shocking because it was pretty aggressive. Putin echoed Cold War rhetoric by accusing the U.S. of making the world unsafe. Premier Vladimir Putin left no doubt who he sees as responsible for the current global crisis. The speech was a turning point. By the end of George W. Bush's second term, the relationship was all but broken. And he knew it, George W. Bush knew it, and he recognized it as such. And then came Obama. Obama, 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 Obama. This is the next best thing. Don't go. 